Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Andrea Wilson-Woods about responding to adversity in our personal lives and how leaders can be more supportive of their people in the workplace. Andrea Wilson-Woods, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited to have the chance to chat with you. Um, You have such an interesting story and background, and we're going to get a chance to talk a little bit about a recent book of yours, um, but really have a a robust discussion around uh, resilience and how, how individuals can overcome personal obstacles in their lives. Um... So both at home, but also in the workplace, because at at work, we also experience a lot of setbacks. We experience a lot of challenges and a lot of opportunities for growth, depending on how we frame those experiences. Um, So as we get into the discussion today, I'm excited for the listeners to learn more about you and to have the chance to really think about their own uh, response to adversity and the difficulties of life and perhaps how they could be uh, more supporting and empowering leaders in the workplace to help their people who are also dealing with those types of challenges. As we dive on in today, I want to share Andrea's bio with everyone. Andrea Wilson-Woods is a writer who loves to tell stories and a patient advocate who founded the nonprofit Blue Fairy. Andrea is the CEO and co-founder of Cancer University, a for-profit social benefit digital health company. With Cancer U, Andrea synergizes her talents of coaching, writing, teaching, and advocacy. For over 10 years, Andrea worked in the education field as a teacher and professional for public and private schools, as well as universities. Andrea obtained her master's degree in professional writing from the University of Southern California. Her nonfiction writing has has won national awards. Her new book, a medical memoir titled Better Off Bald, A Life in 147 Days, is a... a number one bestseller on Amazon in multiple categories. Um, So again, thank you so much for joining me today. And before we launch into the discussion, anything else you would like to share generally with the listeners? Uh, No, sounds great. Let's do it, John. Okay, wonderful. So I hope that we get a chance to really dive in and talk more about um, Cancer University and the work that you're doing there. I love um, social benefit, social enterprise, um, social impact related organizations. And I know you're doing a lot of great work there. Um, before we dive into that though, um, if perhaps you could share with us a little bit about your, your recent book, um, better off ball, um, because I think it's, it tells a powerful story. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, so better off ball comes from 
the story of raising my sister. Um, I was 22 years old. I was living in Los Angeles, and I had graduated from USC. And I ended up getting custody of my then eight-year-old sister, Adrian. And I was her legal guardian. I was her only parent. We have the same mother, but her father died before she was born in a car accident, so she never knew him. And I raised Adrian all through my 20s. Um, there's a 14-year age gap there. And one month after her 15th birthday, just as she was finishing her freshman year of high school, she was diagnosed with stage four liver cancer. And it, it really just it came out of nowhere. Like the day before, she felt fine. That day, um, she was in pain. And um, we went to the ER and first we actually went to her pediatrician, then we went to the ER, and it was an ER doctor who told us the results of a CAT scan that showed tumors in her liver and lungs, and then we were immediately put into an ambulance and sent to Children's Hospital Los Angeles, and that was day one of my sister's very short 147-day um, cancer journey, hence the subtitle of the book, um, and it was it was very brutal. Um, it was very tough, and that was uh, 2001, and um, and my sister died from from stage four liver cancer. I'm really uh, sorry to hear that. I, I can only imagine what that must be like to to put be put in that kind of a role uh, as parent as parent and guardian at such a young age, um, and then to deal with such such a horrific challenge uh, like that, uh, dealing with with any sort of health issue is always difficult. Um, and, uh, cancer is, is just, is just really horrible. Um, so thank you for sharing. Thank you for, for the efforts in writing the book, um, and telling that story. And that feeds into your work that you do with cancer university and tell us a little bit more about that and what you're trying to accomplish. Sure. So Cancer University actually came out of my work with my nonprofit. So after my sister died about a year and a half later, I started a nonprofit specifically um, dedicated to the cancer that killed her, to primary liver cancer, which is also known as hepatocellular carcinoma. And I started to see this pattern emerge from that work in that even when people had the best possible information, and there's a lot of bad information out there, but even when they had great information, um, 95% of the time, they didn't know what to do with it. And my background, when I was raising my sister, I was a teacher. After she died, I went back to school and got my master's in writing, and I became an adjunct professor for an online university. Um, and I'm a certified coach. And so I have been coaching cancer patients and caregivers pro bono for years. And I realized there was this whole coaching and teaching component that needed to happen, and doctors just don't have the time to do it, but I didn't want to charge anyone, and I was actually getting recruited on LinkedIn by other companies asking me to come work for them to be a cancer coach, and I just didn't feel good about that, but I, I knew it was needed. There was no question. Like, there, there's, it's just, it's a missing component, and um, so I really started thinking about, well, how can this problem be solved? It's obviously not being solved by all the charities out there, including mine. And that's when I came up with the idea for Cancer University. And I actually entered an international entrepreneurial competition. Um, on the concept alone, I had absolutely nothing but a web page that I threw together. And um, there's a lot you can do when you teach yourself. And um, I did very well in the competition 
and that gave me the the momentum to move forward and further vet the idea and so that's what cancer you is it's a online um, membership platform for cancer patients and caregivers to really educate and empower them to become advocates for their cancer care to improve outcomes for the patients but also reduce overall costs so the end users of our platform our patients and caregivers, but our actual customers are payers and providers and pharmaceutical companies. So we never want patients and caregivers to have to pay for their memberships. Yeah, uh, that's that's awesome. Um, do, do you mind telling us a little bit more about the competition? I'm really curious okay. about that. And uh, I, I think that's so cool that that the idea alone was so good <laughs> that, and, and so, so uh, needed, so impactful um, that you were able to be recognized and really use that as a springboard. Oh, sure. Um, I never know if people want that, those kind of details. Uh, sure. It's called the Estellas C3 Prize. It's sponsored by the Estellas uh, Pharmaceutical Company. And um, it's their annual Changing Cancer Care, hence the C3 competition. And um, that year it was co-sponsored by Robert Herchevec from Shark Tank. He's very passionate about changing cancer care because his mother died from ovarian cancer. And, um, and, and I literally just like entered it with a web page. My friend had given me the link and I was like, this is an opportunity to see if this idea has any merit because it sounded kind of crazy even to me. And it's, it's one thing to have a nonprofit in a very specific, very niched cancer versus a for-profit with a somewhat complex business model trying to address all cancers. And so I, I really just didn't know. And so I entered the competition and that year out of over 160 entries from 21 countries, I got in the top 10, which is the semifinals. And I had to interview with the Estella's executives. And I knew I wasn't going to make the finals because I did just have the concept, but they loved the idea. Like they were all over it. They got it. They could see what I was trying to do with it. Um, and, and that's when I knew I was like, okay, I need to move forward with this. And so I still spent six months vetting the idea. I spoke to every patient, every advocate, every caregiver, every provider, every farmer person, like all the relationships I had been making over 15 years. I spoke to all of those people and asked, is this really needed? What do you think? And if one person had said, no, I'm not sure I would have moved forward because I knew it was going to be incredibly difficult, but every single person said yes. So uh, the following year, that was now two years ago, I decided to move forward. I didn't want to do it by myself. And so I did find a co-founder who had a very different skill set than I do, which I highly recommend. <laughs> you don't want people who are like you. You want people who are different. And, um, and then we moved forward. Well, that, that alone is a really interesting story. Um, and perhaps on another day, we can dive on into more of the particulars about the co-founding process and how you, you built this thing up that is, is so needed and so important. Um, but I appreciate you giving us a little teaser of that because that, <laughs> that, that, that alone is really interesting, even though I know that's not the main uh, focus of what we're really discussing today. Um, so I'm, terminal illness of any sort is, is just so, so difficult. And people want to know how to comfort and how to respond in a constructive, positive way. 
but I, I don't think we usually know how to do that. It could be because we, we feel so uncomfortable and worried about putting our foot in our mouth, saying the wrong thing, um, inadvertently hurting the person um, that we're trying to comfort. And so I think a lot of times people end up not um, stepping forward, not saying something, or they end up just kind of giving platitudes that probably don't really help uh, and, and don't really resonate with the person or really provide that kind of support. So you've done so much work in the area specifically of cancer um, in your advocacy work, in your coaching and, and working with uh, individuals who, who are struggling or trying to figure out how to better support loved ones who are struggling. Any insights on how we can approach those difficult conversations uh, to provide that kind of uh, emotional uh, support, the social support, um, all those elements that people need so much in that in their that time of struggle. Yeah, I would start by saying that the, a lot of people just don't know they're terminal, right? Even their doctors don't use that word. Um, the, the words palliative care never came up with my sister. Like no, no one explained that to me. Um, even though I thought I asked very good questions, um, I never understood that the chemotherapy she was taking was totally useless and a wasted time. I, I didn't get that. Um, so there's that, and that's a whole another probably podcast. But I would say in general, I kind of have two rules of thumb. If if you're the person on the outside, um, you know, you don't want to, like you said, put your foot in your mouth. And um, the best thing you can say is, I'm sorry, and how can I help you? And if you say, how can I help you, though, you need to be open to whatever that response is. Don't ask how you can help and then not be willing to step up, no matter how odd or bizarre the request may be. Um, but anything really beyond I'm sorry, you're likely to hurt the person in some way, and especially if it's a parent and their child is sick. Um, it does not make the parent feel better, you know, that, you know, I think my all-time favorite during that time when my sister was sick was God only gives you what you can handle. And it was like, oh, come on, really? Because so my sister's a strong person. I'm strong. And then so she gets a, you know, terminal cancer, really? So, um, you know, never spoke to that friend again. <laughs> she never called me again. I mean, but she didn't know what to say. And, and, and that was really horrible. But anyway, but I digress. But I coach patients and caregivers, though, people will ask how they can help. So it's up to them to be very specific. Like, where do you need help? Don't be afraid to ask for, for whatever it is you need. And, and one extremely bizarre request was um, my sister got all these wigs and, and she really loved them. And they were like different colors and stuff, but she wanted to take good care of them. So she wanted those styrofoam wig heads and, and she wanted to display them in her room. And there was only one place I knew that had those where you could just walk in and buy them. And this was when we lived in LA. And I mean, just to go two miles could take 20 minutes. And, and, but a friend said, how can I help you? And I knew she lived five minutes away from this store. And I said, this is going to sound a little crazy, but I need you to buy me four styrofoam wickets. <laughs> it was like 12 bucks. And it, but she lived right there. And she kind of laughed, was like, all right, if that's all you need. And she did. But then she brought them to us, which was a good like 20, 30 minute drive for her. And then she went home. And that's what we needed. So, you know, you know, again, it's like ask that person what they need. 
I had a friend very well intentioned who lived out of the country at the time and he kept trying to send us meals. Um, but the delivery service who was trying to send them to us never knew when we were home. I mean, at any given time we could have been at the hospital and it just never worked, but he never asked us what we needed. I, I would have said, I never would have said deliver us a meal because you just never knew when we would be there. And again, well-intentioned, but we never got that meal. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's great advice. Um, and you highlight something that's really important in any sort of social impact type of work, like you're doing with the Cancer University, um, or when you're just trying to, you know, on a more micro level, reach out to friends and family and neighbors. Um, is good intentions don't mean good results. So if, if right. you want if you want to actually help, you usually have to to talk and uh, to the people who need the help, you need to ask the question and then you need to listen. You need to mm -hmm. set your own kind of bias aside. You need to set your own. I, I, some people come to you, I'm sure they came to you thinking this is how they wanted to help you. And so they, they tried to kind of push stuff onto you, but you need to stop. You need to listen. You need to ask the question and then you need to be willing to set your own ego, your own, you know, preconceived notions aside and just do what the person asked. Um, yeah. And, and, that's half the battle if you can just be willing to do that, I think. Um, how, how about in a workplace setting? So, you know, a lot of the listeners of this podcast are um, managers, uh, organizational leaders, um, and health issues do come up in the workplace all the time. In fact, right now we're in the middle of a pandemic, and so people are thinking about it constantly. Um, fortunately, um, the, the pandemic hasn't... Um, ended up having, <clears throat> excuse me, as much of the dire um, health effects for all of the population that, you know, we, we had initially thought. Uh, certainly there's a lot of illness and there's, there's uh, an, just a, a, a horrible number of uh, people suffering and, and deaths. But in terms of pandemics, you know, the, the, uh, the rapid spread and the intensity of the illness hasn't been, you know, what people had originally thought it might be. Um, but everyone is trying to keep people healthy in the workplace. Um, uh, uh, employers are trying to figure out how to support their employees who may be sick, whether it's a pandemic or it's a terminal issue like cancer. And cancer is such a prevalent issue that every leader, I imagine, um, who, who oversees any, you know, significant number of people are going to have to deal with uh, how to best be supportive of an employee or the loved one of an employee who yep. is terminal, right? Um, so do you have any thoughts or suggestions on how you might um, adapt your your advice for a leader in an organizational context and how they, you know, because it's even trickier, I think, when when you're in that kind of a situation trying to figure out how to be the most supportive uh, of someone who's suffering? Well, I think one positive thing that's coming out of COVID is that more and more leaders, you know, more um, bosses, if you will, are realizing that people can work from home and do it really well, as long as they have the tools, you know, as long as they have the, the computer and the internet and everything that they need to do their job, they can do it really well. And they often do it better from home because there aren't the, 
the water cooler conversation distractions. Um, so I think that's actually what the, one of the big positives that's come out of all of this. And what I've seen work really well for um, people I've coached um, and, and just families I know is that the more flexible the um, employer has been, the better it's worked. You know, just being flexible and, and, and it's up to that employee, of course, to be in constant communication, but just understand that there's just no, there, just like with COVID, I mean, there's just no rules with cancer. You just don't know when you're going to have a bad day or a bad night or might suddenly have to, you know, run to the ER or, you know, um, you think everything's going well and then everything's upside down for the next 36 hours. You just don't know. And so if an employer can be flexible, then um, that employee can still be productive and be there. And that employee will be so loyal to you. So I think also if employers can just play the long game too, I can think of someone right now, an amazing woman whose husband battled liver cancer for three years and she stayed with her job the whole time, but they gave her an, an enormous amount of flexibility you know, just an incredible amount of flexibility, which she was so grateful for. And she's still there, you know, and they even gave her that flexibility after he died. You know, they gave her that time and you know, come in when you want to, when you're ready. I think that's really important. I mean, that, that is the number one word I can think of flexibility. Yeah. Flexibility in terms of work from home opportunities, flexibility in terms of schedule, yeah. um, you know, just allowing people to, I mean, recognizing the humanity of your employee and recognizing the difficulty of, of what they're dealing with, whether it's their own health or the health of a loved one that they're trying to be supportive of, uh, it's so completely disruptive to life. And, yeah. and, you know, they very well may have every intention to continue to just be an amazing top performer in your organization. But, you know, th- there are priorities and, and in the short term, like you said, play the long game. In the short term, yeah. there might be a dip uh, in productivity because, I mean, who wouldn't struggle with, with um, focus and attention when you, when you have a loved one who's terminal? Um, but in the long run, you, you engender <clears throat> commitment and loyalty, and they can be quite productive with, given the flexible arrangements, uh, even, oh, yeah. even amidst the emotional um, struggle and turmoil. Um, something else that I was thinking about as you were talking about um, the flexibility is just making sure your workplace is a safe place for people to make those kinds of accommodation requests. Yeah. Um, because some workplaces, employees simply don't feel like they can even ask um, without great. without being retaliated against or being seen as you know not a team player or whatever. Um, but if if and, and you won't know, like if I'm, if I have a, an employee that reports to me and they're not sick and they, but they have a, a terminal loved one, there's no way that I will know that unless they tell me, yeah. right? And, yeah. and in many workplaces, they wouldn't dare tell anybody <laughs> um, because of, of how that might be viewed. And, and so just being, um, being authentically interested in the well-being generally of your employees will 
pay big dividends when these types of really more serious types of issues um, arise. Um, and I, I just think this is, is not even a remotely close equivalent of an example. <laughs> um, but people are dealing with COVID right now. And, and um, I, I contracted COVID. I still don't know how because we've basically been stuck at our house for six <laughs> months. But, but I, I somehow managed to contract COVID back in, in June. And it, you know, it was scary for, for my wife in particular. Um, for me, health wise, it's like I hit a wall um, and it was brutal for a few days. And really I was in bad shape for about a week. And, but then I was fine. Um, I was a fortunate one, right? Where I recovered quickly and then I was able to move on. Um, other people who are dealing with, with coronavirus haven't been so lucky. And then, but that's even, you set that aside and you talk about terminal illness where it's not a like one week long difficulty. It, it's it's right. something that it, it just takes an emotional toll day in, day out, ongoing. Uh, and there's really no relief from it. And so, I mean, I, I just remember in that one week how stressed my wife was in trying to help with, you know, take care of the kids while I'm self-isolated in the bedroom and trying to help me and take care of me and just worried about my health. And, you know, that multi, like magnify that a million times. And that's what you're talking about when someone's dealing with someone battling with terminal cancer. And, and so the emotional toll, the anxiety, the stress, all of that is what employers um, really need to be aware of. Uh, to provide the, the necessary supports so that their people can can take the time they need to focus on them, their family, um, and then and then return and be more productive, more committed, more loyal of employees after they've gone through this crisis. Yeah, yeah. Just just be be flexible. You know, the employer needs to be flexible, but the employee needs to make communicate as well. So yeah. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me today. We could go on and on, and we I think there were several tangents we could have gone down that we don't <laughs> have time to today, so maybe we could do that another time. Um, but before we close today, I want to give you a chance to share with listeners where they can find your book, how they can find out more about Cancer University, and find out more about the work you're doing and connect with you professionally. Okay. I do have one story if we have time, though, oh, that sure, I think sure. your listeners would appreciate. So, um, so you said a lot of your listeners – it's about workplace and resilience and things like that, correct? Um, so um, I got fired from what I thought was my dream job. And this, is, this has been six years ago now, but I was still living in Los Angeles. And this was a job that I truly manifested. I wrote down every single thing I thought I wanted in a job. And, and, and very specific things. I don't want to commute more than X amount of time. I want to work two days from home. I want to do da 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 I want this much in salary, da 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 So um, I was very intentional about this. So, And I wrote this very detailed bullet-pointed list in September. I got a first interview in October because this was a somewhat large nonprofit, not mine, a different one. I, um, the interview process was long. So I had another interview in November, another one in December, last one in January, started in February. Um, after a night, excellent 90 day review and 10% raise, I was fired on my 100th day. And, um, 
it was like, I caught the bitch slap from the universe because I was like, what just happened? Like, I couldn't believe what happened. I'd never been fired before. And I just want to tell people that it's not the worst thing that will ever happen to you. I promise. Because once I got over my shock of being fired, I was like, does this even compare with what I went through with my sister? You know, does it doesn't even come close. And it was like, no, no, this was just a shock. And clearly I'm not meant to work with this company um, because the way they went about firing me was ridiculous. It was horrible. And, um, and I just wanted to share that because I think when people get fired, you know, I think we all just take it so personally and like, what do we do wrong? And oh my goodness. And you know what? It's not always personal. I mean, really, it's just not like, that's not the best fit for you. Sorry, there's a bug. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> like, no, why is no. there a bug in front of me? Um, I, so, yeah. I appreciate I just, that experience. Yeah. And, I, I, you know, your thought of how does this compare to what I dealt with with, with my sister? Um, now, I've never dealt with a family member who had cancer and a terminal uh, disease. Um, knock on wood, not yet. Um but I, I actually tend to frame things that way myself. Like I just ask myself when something, when I have a, a career setback, a personal setback, something happens, I'm really frustrated. I'm, I'm disappointed. And I just ask myself, well, really what, what's the worst thing that could happen? What, how does this compare to, to that? And it's almost never that horrible. Like it's, it's yeah. a, it's a temporary setback. And so yeah. we, we, we look at, what life throws us and we respond and, and hopefully we can respond with resilience. Um, and hopefully, um, employers will be better than the, the one that, um, fired you. It sounds like maybe there's some political stuff going on in the background and things like that are, you know, largely completely out of your control. And, and so to ruminate on that doesn't help anything. And you just pick up the pieces, you move on, you learn what you can learn from it. And then you you tackle the next challenge. Um, yeah. So I, I really appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. And if that hadn't happened, I would not have ended up moving away from Los Angeles. Like so many other things in my life wouldn't have happened at all were amazing. So again, you kind of never know how things are going to work out. So yeah, I just want to share that given your audience. But um, in terms of where they can find me, uh, best place to find the book is betteroffbald.com. Um, also, all my social media is there as well. Um, to learn more more about my nonprofit, it's bluefairy.org, F-A-E-R-Y.org, Blue Fairy, and you'll find out why we're called Blue Fairy. And for your listeners, I have a special gift if they go to cancer.university, so no .com or .org, just cancer.university. Um, we're going to offer them a free lifetime membership to Cancer U. So if you're a newly diagnosed cancer patient or the loved one of a newly diagnosed cancer patient, go to cancer.university. Click um, apply now or learn more and fill out the application. And then when you get to the bottom, you just click, I have a coupon code and the coupon code is HCI podcast, all caps, all one word. And um, you'll, uh, the fee will be waived and you'll have a free membership. Wonderful. Well, that's very generous of you. Uh, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to, to meet with me. I hope we can continue the discussion and, and do this again soon. I hope my listeners will reach out and and get connected with you. Go check out Cancer University. Take advantage of this this uh, tremendously generous offer. And I hope everyone 
will stay healthy and safe, that you can be supportive of those around you, and that you can all find passion and, uh, and joy in your work each and every day. Thank you. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week. Check out our new weekly LinkedIn newsletter, Alchemizing Human Capital, exploring industry trends via original research and interviews with executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We look forward to having you join us. Make their Christmas unforgettable with goat guns. Looking for the perfect gift for your husband or man who is a gun lover? Look no further. Goat guns are the greatest gift of all time miniature gun models. They are the perfect blend of quality and detail. From pistols to rifles, there's a goat gun for every collector, history buff, or gamer. Whether for display or for a fun collecting hobby, goat guns will bring joy and excitement to him. Surprise your loved ones this Christmas with a goat gun, the ultimate gift that won't disappoint. Shop at goatguns.com.